Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. I'm your host. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to A Gift from Adversity. Today we have episode 25, and I'm very happy to have another wonderful guest. Before I invite my guest, I want to introduce my book. It's called A Gift from Adversity, which was published in 2020. And subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. And I tell each time before the show, before the guest, that I have experienced all of these adversities growing up in Japan. And after I published my book, I felt really compelled to create a platform where people can specifically talk about adversity and tools that they use to overcome and a gift that came from the adversity. So today I have an exciting guest. Her name is Andrea Brint, and I'm very um, grateful that she is willing to share her adversity and story. So let's invite her. Hi, Andrea. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Jerry. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. So can you please tell our audience your name and what you do? Yes. My name's Andrea Blint. I am a registered nurse, a holistic homeopathic practitioner. Um, I also specialize in hypnotherapy and mindset coaching. And I see you have a, a website. Yes, I do. That's my website. My business is called Growing Miracles. And if you go to my website, I have some free downloads and you can get some more information about some of the services that I provide there. Yes. And the website is andreablint.com, B-L-I-N-D-T.com. Great. So do you have any Instagram, social media as well, or it's connected to your website? Yes, I do. It is connected to my website, but if you have an Instagram, my Instagram name is at andreablint. So it's uh, tried to make it easy and streamlined. Great. So tell me a little bit more about your business and then um, the um, method that you're using. You said uh, a lot of different things. And then can you break it down a little bit more? Of course. Thank you for asking. So my biz business name is Growing Miracles with Andrea. And the name came came to me because I really believe we are all capable of growing miracles in our own lives. And I watched that happen in my life. And so once I was able to do that in so many different areas, I thought, why wouldn't I share that with the world and share it with people who are looking for support? And so I offer nursing services where I look through medical labs. I work like a detective to try to find the root cause of imbalance in the body, whether it is physical, a medical challenge, if it's emotional, then I support that through different modalities. Um, there's just a lot of causes for um, imbalance in our body. So I have a lot of methods on supporting patients. I do a lot of work with fertility patients, pediatrics I love, and just overall health and wellness. So what are the miracles that you experienced that you wanted to share with people? Well, for me personally, I believe I'm a miracle sitting here today. 
I know you, this podcast is about adversity and I, I've lived a life of adversity, quite a bit of it. And I know none of us are immune to the struggles of life. Um, and I know we're going to get into that later, but my miracles is me sitting here, being alive, happy, living a life that I never imagined possible for myself and my family. I've also been able to um, become a mom when doctors told me that I wouldn't be able to become a mom, get pregnant, stay pregnant, as well as um, becoming pregnant naturally, which was really exciting. So just so many miracles, overcoming all of those challenges. I feel like that is in and of itself a miracle. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing. So let's dive into the first question, which is the adversity. You mentioned a little bit, but what was your greatest adversity? Yes, my greatest. That's a tough question because as an adult, I've experienced quite a few adversities. But during my childhood, I suffered from childhood abuse, mental, emotional, physical, and sexual. And I think that really set me up to have repeated patterns in my present as an adult. And it wasn't until I had experienced the, the birth and the deaths of my first two children that I realized I wasn't enjoying my life. Um, I was in a relationship that was unhealthy. And I realized that a lot of the choices I made came from a place of fear and wanting to feel safe in life and not really loving myself and believing that I was worthy of more. And so I think there was a combination of adversities and really um, finding the strength to push through them all. Even to this day, I went on to have um, twins naturally and they were born with medical challenges. So that was very complicated and brought with it a lot of emotions. Um, and then learning how to care for them when one of them was giving a very um, poor prognosis um, and now he's thriving. So just, it feels like, you know, storms keep coming, but I've learned how to get through them instead of overcoming them. So let's go back to the childhood. And then you mentioned a lot of things, a lot of abuse and physical, sexual. So would you feel comfortable talking a little bit more about it? Yes, of course. Thank you for asking. Um, childhood abuse is, is really tough because I feel like our system is not set up in a way that it supports children truly in the way that it was designed, which is really unfortunate. And so for me, I experienced that. Um, I lost my birth father. I never knew him. And my mom was a single mom who worked hard and she had a lot of trauma in her own life that trickled into our childhood and the way she spoke to us and the treatment um, towards us. And so she was very physically abusive and tore us down daily. Um, it was a really, really tough time. Broken bones, bruises, pulled hair um, with bald patches, you know, that would just eclipse my head. And um, I just felt so worthless. Like, why am I here? What is the purpose of all of this suffering? And that was a really hopeless time in my life. And then when I was 15, I was adopted. 
And um, I realized that I started performing so that I would be valued and have worth. And it took me years to realize that. What was the performing, like dance or? No, so performing in my behaviors. I started cleaning the house, cooking, really doing anything I could to fly under the radar and to be lovable. So I believed that if I serve all day long and I provide for others, then I will be wanted and people won't think that I'm too much work. They'll keep me because I have value. Yes, it's um, a lot going on in here. And then I feel like a lot of people who has who have experienced this childhood abuse, they don't understand us in the way that like a lot of things are happening, but without explanation. And then you think it's normal, but it's not normal. And there's no advocacy and there's no like especially if your abuser is in your house and living and then supposed to be a protector but it's not it's just really difficult to get out of it and um I'm very sorry that you have experienced that thank you yeah you said it so well Jury. it is it's such a challenging place to to realize that that is not normal you know not all houses operate that way yeah so you were born in america and i was born in japan and i think unfortunately the adversity became universal language as i speak more and then since i started this show i have guests from all over the world and it seems to be a lot more common than expected and sadly, a lot of people feel lonely, alone, and then that they are handling all on this just by themselves. So did you feel like lonely? Did you feel hopeless that there was nobody there for you when you were growing up? Absolutely. Every single emotion you shared, I felt. I felt very depressed. I felt unlovable, unworthy, so alone, hopeless. I couldn't imagine a future because my present was so full of pain that I didn't want a future. I, I was suicidal. I prayed for forgiveness because I grew up in a religious house and I believed that I must be really bad to endure such suffering and so I prayed for forgiveness and asked, you know, for help. Please just tell me what to do in order to be loved and to not be hurt. And then the people who were supposed to help us, counselors, child protective services, the police, really fell short in protecting. Um, and I see that still happening today with, um, with all of those um, resources with judges in the court system. And it really breaks my heart that we are not protecting children in the way that we should be. And um, I experienced that myself and was left in an abusive house again and again and again until that abuse got so big 
that I had to had no other choice but to leave. And I don't think that's fair for any child to endure suffering like that for even one day. So what age, do you remember from what age to what age the abuse continued? Yeah, until I was 15 years old. So it was a large part of my life. How did it end? It ended my older sister, actually, who was 15 months older than me. She ran away from home and she ran away. She hitchhiked her way across multiple states and she ended up in Montana when she got there, she applied to be emancipated. And so when she went through the emancipation process, a judge asked her, why do you wanna be emancipated? And she shared her story and the judge said, oh no, there's still kids in that house. And they came in and scooped us right up. And so it was really her bravery that, that allowed me to live and experience a different life. Can you explain that word must be? What does that mean? I don't, I've never oh, heard emancipation. Of yes, of course. Um, so emancipation is where you are allowed to be a legal adult before you're 18. So in America, when you turn 18, you are legally an adult. You don't need to live under your parents' house. Of course you can, if you'd like to, but you are seen as an adult. And so she was 16 when she did that. Um, and you have to go to court and be granted the ability to, basically be an adult. So she could go to school without having a parent's signature. She could apply for a job without a parent, anything, not anything, but a lot of adult responsibilities she was able to take on without an adult supervision. Wow. I have never heard of this system. Yes. That is so brave of her. It really was. And I'm so grateful every day for her bravery because it, it's a gift to me. So basically she ran away from an abuse by hitchhiking and then crossing several states, ended up being in Montana and emancipated and yeah. uh, at the court and then told that she can be an adult at age 16. Yes. And how old were you? Like four, 15, 14? I was 15. Yeah, 15 at the time. So somebody came to your house? So yeah, the police came. And then um, I got to move to California and I lived with the man I call my dad, who's a police officer and his wife. And they raised me beautifully. I was so grateful to have a safe house where I never worried about being hit or any sexual abuse. It was just, it was unlike anything I'd ever known. Um, he was Japanese. And so he wasn't a warm, fuzzy dad, but I wasn't used to warm fuzzy. So he was exactly what I needed at that time. And um, he was very strict and challenged me in my education and in the choices I made in life. And I'm so grateful for him and his wife for, for the love that they poured into me. Wow. So you were living with basically foster family? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You were Japanese? Yes. Yeah, so my, my dad was Japanese, and then his wife is um, American. Wow. That is such a crazy 15 years old of abuse and escaping from it, and your sister being such a 
amazing role model and then bravely to help you. Yeah, she's amazing. I'm very, I'm grateful for her and just the courage it took for her to stand up and to say, no, this isn't, this isn't okay for me or for them and really helping us get into a better situation. So are you still in touch with a uh, Japanese dad, the police officer? Yes. yes, I am. I, I love him. He's my dad. Um, and I have four brothers that are his and his wife's, but they're as much my brothers as my sister's my sister. And so I see them a few times a month. We live about an hour away from each other, but we talk regularly a few times a week. Wow. That is very, very um, shocking to learn. And, you know, I experienced some of these things. So I just can't imagine what we both of both of us went through the same situation, similar situation. I wish I knew this system that I could be an adult, like granted adult, like no legality at 16. I would completely have done that. But I'm not sure if it was granted in Japan. But um, that is so crazy, really. And then you mentioned that you had a child that you lost? Yes. So I, in my first marriage, I had, I was pregnant with twins, Grace and Wyatt, and I delivered them early at 25 and a half weeks. And they were in the NICU, which is the um, intensive care unit for newborn babies that are born early. And they really struggled while they were in there. And so five days after they were born, they both died. And when that happened, I hit rock bottom. All I ever wanted to be in life was to be a mom and to become the mother that I never had. And so when my twins died, it was immediately taken from me. And then the doctors told me that I'd never be able to carry my own baby again. Um, and it really crushed me. It, it put me into a really deep depression and I felt again, very hopeless and alone. Uh, people didn't talk about newborn loss, you know, it's kind of a voodoo topic. And so my family and friends didn't really know how to support me or remember my twins with me, which made it, it made it feel like I was living in a twilight zone. You know, I had these memories and the scars, but everyone avoided it. And so it just felt really weird. Yes. I have a friend who lost um, a son and then at some point, like she said, people stopped talking to her because they just don't know how to talk or support. Yeah, And I also have uh, my first episode guest, Piedra, who uh, survived two active gun shooting situations and one was at the hospital. And she said, of course, like the first time, like, you know, that happened. And then it's the first week or so, the media coverage and everything. But then all of a sudden, people just stopped talking about it. And that weighed on her. So I think any loss, people just don't know how to approach. First of all, like, 
they feel bad. They don't know how to say anything in that situation. But also, just we just are not equipped to be a therapist or um, grief counselor, and we just don't know how to say. Right. Yeah, we're not taught that in life, and if you're not exposed to it, then you don't have the tools to navigate it or to help someone else through it. So it's really, it's a tough situation. Now, so you said you have a child after she, um, you were told that you're not going to have a baby. Yes. So I went on to have four more children. So I have four living children. I had two through fertility treatments again. And they were both very high-risk pregnancies. I had major abdominal surgery while I was 13 weeks pregnant with my daughter. And they placed a band in my body that helped support her as she growed. And so um, it was really traumatizing and traumatic to me, but also to her who was inside of me. And then when she was born, there was a lot of fear that would she be okay? Would she live? Would she die? What if something happened? So I had a lot of anxiety with that. And then with my son, my uterus ripped open. And so it became emergent. We were both delivered early. And uh, the doctor said, you know, your body, it was like a balloon and it just was going to pop. And so you can't, you can't have any more kids. But I was so grateful to have two children at that time that I was, I was just so happy. Um, During that, my husband and I separated And I I didn't think I would ever get married again or have any other children, but God had different plans. I met my now husband and after telling him that I couldn't have children, I found out that I was pregnant and not pregnant with one, but pregnant with two. And so that in itself caused a lot of um, pain for me because my first pregnancy was twins and they died. And so I had a lot of PTSD during that pregnancy Um, it was also really high risk. I was in the hospital for weeks and they were born early and stayed in the hospital for 106 days. And then when they came home, they had feeding tubes and a lot of medical challenges. We were seeing doctors multiple times a week. And then when our son was three, he received a diagnosis that basically there's no cure for. And so they said the kids that have this diagnosis, they typically don't survive Um, They don't have a great quality of life. He struggled with really chronic pain every day. Um, But I I chose not to accept that as his reality. And so we changed changed his life for him. And now when doctors see him, they're in awe at this boy who, you know, they said there was no hope for is now running and attending preschool. How old is he now? He's five five years old and he has a twin sister. How did it change? How did you guys manage? Such a great question. So it started with our minds. I I came home and I told my husband, you know, this is the diagnosis he has. And so we have a choice. We can believe that and he will live every day until he dies. Or we can stop right now and change everything we're doing. We're going to stop the way we're talking. We're not going to talk about his illness in front of him or with our family. Um, We are going to stop force feeding him because he was being fed through a feeding tube. 
and he had a certain amount that he was expected to get other, because he wasn't surviving, but he was throwing up all day long and he was in so much pain. And I said, we're not going to force feed him anymore. We're going to start honoring him and his body. And we're going to start listening to ourselves and what we believe is right for our son. And so I, you know, I'd already been blending all of his own food in our Vitamix, but I changed the things that I was blending. I started becoming aware of what he was able to digest better and what decreased his pain. We added supplements, Chinese medicine. We did acupuncture and acupressure. I did hypnotherapy on him where I hypnotized him. And then instead of hearing that he is dying, that he's not gaining weight, that he's so weak, that he he's failing to thrive, which is what he'd heard multiple times a week from doctors and nurses. I started saying that he was strong and he was healthy and that his body knew how to work perfectly and that, you know, that his stomach was able to digest food and that he could laugh and play. And some of his first words were, I am strong and healthy, which is so cool. Wow. What was, what was he diagnosed for? So he has, it's, he has quite a diagnosis, but it's, um, neuropathic dysmotility is part of it. So basically the nerves of his intestines from the stomach, the small intestine and the large intestine, the nerves don't fire correctly. So there's no cure for the nerves currently. Um, his kind of squeeze in different ways, normal movement is when you eat, the food goes down and then the stomach starts to move it down as it moves towards the small intestine, the large intestine, and then through your poop. His didn't do that. It kind of sat there. And then the more he would eat, he would just get fuller and fuller until he would pop. And because it wasn't moving down, it would come back up the way that it had gone in. And so that was really painful for him. Wow. So I'm so grateful that you have shared all these um, challenges and adversities and then um, mindset. And it's very wise of you and your husband to accept that. And I just want to share a quick story of mine, which is in my book, Akifma University. When I was diagnosed with hypothyroid, I had hyperthyroid and had a surgery when I was in Japan. So they took 70% off and I only had 30%. And after my son was born, I was, um, TSH was 16, which was maybe four times of normal. Mm -hmm. Now at that point, my doctor said I would not live without medication for the rest of my life. And uh, I would never get pregnant. Uh, even if I get pregnant, the baby is going to be deformed and I will lose my hair and then skin, dry skin. Um, so she, she said all the things, but I refused to take medicine. And I said, I think I can try some other ways. So I researched and then asked around and I um, found nutrition responsing testing. I don't know if you ever tried NRT. Yes. So um, they put example of Code and then viruses on your body and then check your response with the um, line on the massage chair. <laughs> and then uh, anyways, 
So I did that a couple months and it was the herb and my TSH went back to normal. And then I have a daughter, but all my pregnancy, my TSH level was normal and I never took a pill. It's amazing. You healed yourself. Yes, because our bodies are created perfect and somewhere in life they get wonky by something. And then often we go to a doctor and we're given again, that limiting belief of you can only achieve X, Y, Z by taking this pill or by doing this surgery. And you can only have that for the, you know, if you do this for the rest of your life. And by the way, there's 90 different side effects from that. And so that's a really tough spot to live, but just knowing that there's other options out there is really exciting. And so, like you said, um, NRT, I also do muscle testing. And that was one of the really big things I was able to do with my son and also with myself that I now share with my patients is testing for what truly is right for you, because we're all unique and all of our needs change day to day. They can change minute to minute. And so having that ability to test yourself um, really sets you up for success. So I want to shift our question from adversity to the tools, which kind of we are talking a little bit about it. But the reason why I want to ask about tools to overcome adversity is that a lot of times people force us to see a therapist and the therapist will cure you. But just to let you know, I had a therapist who fell asleep on me. I had to wake him up over the phone and I was like disgusted. And then I had a lot of therapists who just looked at um, clock and then just, you know, again, next. And then we're in the middle of like, you know, when you are so vulnerable and I just didn't like really click. But a lot of people say, oh, you need to find therapists. You need to find therapists. And I'm like, first of all, it's like a year wait list. And then when you get one, sometimes it's not really good. It doesn't fit. Like all respect to all the therapists who are help, trying to help. But sometimes it's not the only way to cure your trauma and adversity. So I've tried a lot of modalities, including like what you said, acupuncture, yoga, acupressure, like a lot of things. Um, I can't even, I just recently did transpersonal regression therapy or mm -hmm. frequency therapy, Reiki and all that stuff. So for you, with all this adversity that you have to endure in your life, what would you say the best tools that you had applied that worked for you? Yeah, such a great question because like you said, there are so many different resources out there but they're not one size fits all. And so for me, the best things that helped me were, I did hypnotherapy. Um, I did a type of hypnotherapy that's called rapid transformational therapy through um, Marissa Peer. She's the person who invented this type of therapy and it's designed to be fast so that you don't need to go to 500 sessions before you get one small breakthrough. You are hypnotized. So your conscious mind isn't battling you and you're able to go back and locate the root cause of imbalance in your body, whether it's a limiting belief or an illness, you find it and then you transform it. Um, after that, you listen to a recording for 21 days. You can listen to it longer if you want to, but it really helps ingrain those new beliefs into your body 
I think that changed my life hugely. I also did emotion code, which helps release the stored traumas and emotions in your body. Um, because when we don't express our emotions, when we're not safe to express them for any reason, then they get stored in our body and they can cause illness, um, depression, anxiety, physical illness, so many different things. I also love affirmations and vision boards because like I mentioned earlier, I really struggled with imagining a future. And so for me, one of my healing tools was sitting down and really deciding what do I want in my life? What makes me feel good? Do I feel good sitting at the beach? No, I don't. Okay, we're well, where do I feel good? I feel really good in the mountains with the green trees all around me. And so on my vision board, I would get up pictures of green trees and maybe a hiking trail, a nice bathtub, pictures of books, me smiling, my kids smiling, because that's what I wanted to set my focus on. And I put it in a place where I could see it every day. And I consciously stopped and looked at it, looked at the pictures of me smiling. I wrote affirmations and really stated truths that I wanted to believe. I'm experiencing more joy in my life every day. Um, I see my children thriving and I know that they're healthy. Just so many different beliefs that are easy for our mind to try to lie to us and trick us into believing the opposite. And so by having those truths around my house or on my vision board, it was easier for me to access them and to hold on to them when I was having a hard day. It's such a powerful way to have this modality emotion code. Yes. I've never heard of it. I love it. It's, it's truly amazing. Bradley Nelson is the person who he wrote a book. There's a book and I want to say on his website, he has maybe three chapters of that book for free, but they have practitioners all around the world. You can be trained in it. But basically, you use muscle testing to access trapped emotions. He has a chart where you can go through them. And as you clear them, you use a magnet to clear them. And you release them from your body, just like you would demagnetize a hotel key, you know, with a magnet strip. They say, don't put it near your phone, anything like that. So that's what you're doing. You're taking that electric charge out of your body and you're releasing it. And it was just, it was amazing. So I, I did that at the same time as I did hypnotherapy. And I also did um, Chinese medicine with it. So a lot of homeopathy, Bach flower remedies, and um, just really trying to get back to earth. You know, it's, I just heard of Bach flower and that's like really remedy for a lot of European people. And I didn't know about backflower. And, you know, you are so amazing, Andrea, that you are a registered nurse. And then you have this knowledge of Western method being a nurse. But yet, you are so intuitive and open to these methods that people might think, oh, that's crazy. That's just too much out there. And then, you know, you're so open to it. And I love that about you because a lot of people who study Western medicine and the method, 
um, they're not open to it. And like doctors, especially, like they think the pill is the cure and the therapy is cure, but they don't really look in inwards. Like say, hypnotherapy, I really haven't experienced it, but I would love to. And what you said was interesting because consciousness is fighting. Yes. When you get rid of the consciousness and then maybe speak to the subconscious, maybe that would cure. Excuse um, did it work very well for you? Like, you know, in terms of digging into the core of your trauma, especially from your childhood abuse? Excuse me, I had a little tickle. For me, it was it was hugely transformational. And I will say, finding the right therapist is imperative. The first time I did hypnotherapy, I didn't like it at all. And I didn't think I received anything from it. I didn't feel comfortable. The second time I found it, I found it because I was researching ways to help support my son. So that's when I found Marissa Peer. And I used her method on my son and on myself. And I saw such a shift that I decided I wanted to study under her and become certified in that so that I could offer it to my entire family, but also all of my patients because I had such a huge transformation. I was able to heal so many things. I, like I said, I performed. That was how I found value in my life by serving all the time. I never sat down. I never stopped moving. I cleaned frantically, but that wasn't the life I wanted to live. I was missing out on so many amazing events and opportunities. So during hypnotherapy, I was able to understand that I did all of those things to prove my worth. And once I realized that, I was able then to tell myself I'm worthy because I'm living here on earth. And I'm chosen to be here at this time. My worth comes from who I am and my heart and the deep connections that I create with others. It doesn't come by me cleaning my house frantically. And so, again, those beliefs get put into your mind for 21 days. And then anytime I need a tune-up, I just listen to it again. That is so interesting. And... You know, I I think a lot of trauma survivors, like, you know, I don't know. I have the same thing, like, um, workaholic, always thriving, always trying to fill the void by, by working really hard and trying to feel the validation from others, the compliments. But then I realized that, especially from men and, you know, the words that can say beautiful and stuff, but a lot of people don't realize how damaged we are as a survivor of sexual abuse, especially, and in the domestic violence as well. But like, how would you even like shift it from the point where, oh my, oh my God, I'm performing, I'm serving a lot, and then I do the same thing, and then how do you stop? Like at some point, like no side say hypnosis and then like the therapy, but people are not like really open to those modality. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. What do, you, what do you say your advice is for people to stop pleasing others and then seeking for maybe validation from others? Yeah, it's a great question. So I would say really become aware of how you feel in a situation. So if you are helping someone because you're looking for a response back, notice that. Notice how you feel when you don't get that response. And if you don't get that response, ask yourself, where could I get this? Where else could I get this? That's a healthier place for me to get it. You can also, you know, become aware of those thoughts that you have and try to see what the reason is. If I'm looking for someone to tell me I'm beautiful, is it because I don't believe I'm beautiful? And maybe that's the truth that you hold inside. Then you could ask, when's the first time I felt that I wasn't beautiful? Oh, maybe it was when I was four and someone teased me and said I was ugly because I had freckles. Well, then you can go in your mind to that four-year-old and say, man, that was kind of mean. Freckles are cute. I'm sorry that four-year-old experienced that. I'm not four anymore. I'm however old you are. And remind yourself that you are whatever you want to be. I am beautiful. And when you go to a mirror, pause and let yourself know that you're beautiful. In that situation, for the little girl who had freckles, when you stop in the mirror, let her know how cute those freckles are and how fun they are. So I really try to explore the feeling and then find the cause of it, the reason behind it, and then really change it. You know, I appreciate you so much, Andrea. And this is our first time meeting and having this conversation. And I can't thank you enough for being so open and so vulnerable and knowledgeable about this tools that people can apply when they're going through this. Now, I just wanted to share my personal story. So I had the coolest experience of working on Marvel Studios movie called Shang-Chi, The Legend of Ten Rings last year. And then when I was in the movie trailer, I made this wonderful standing. And um, she told me that I have inner child that is not as professional as I am, and it's not like up to the level that I am representing myself in public. So all the abuse, abusive relationship that I'm attracting is for her, not for me right now at my age. So you have to raise this child that was abused and not loved, not so much void to your level so then it would emerge and then you would attract healthier relationship, not just, um, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend type of things, but friendship as well, work relationship, anything. Yes. So I just wanted to share that with you. Thank you for sharing that. And that's so, so true and so common. And anyone can do that anytime. Raise that child up or provide that child with what it didn't get as as a younger person, you know, you have the ability to, even if you're thinking of it in your mind, close your eyes and think, gosh, I really wish my parents would have hugged me. Well, in your mind, you can create any life you want. So close your eyes and imagine being you as a little kid and imagine being hurt and wanting that hug. And then in your mind, see your parents come and hug you 
or read you a book, give you a blanket, give you what you needed. And then let yourself know, let that child know that they have everything they needed and that you're still there for them. And that if they have anything else they need again, you know how to help them because you are them. Do you see my tears? <laughs> oh my goodness. I just, I'm so touched by you. And I'm so grateful to have this conversation. And I feel all my life, those are the things that I never experienced and wanted. And therefore, I end up thriving crazy and going after the wrong thing. So, you know, I really appreciate you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you and your vulnerability. Your your vulnerability brought this platform where people have the ability to feel less alone and to gain knowledge and resources from others. And so I thank you for your courage and just the gifts that you have and bring to this world. Thank you. You're so kind. So that can lead to our last question, which is a gift that came from adversity. So how would you say, what's the gift from your adversity? Who I would say resilience and confidence, knowing that regardless of what happens in life, I know that I am capable of living a life that I love and that that starts with me, believing that I'm worthy of that life and by making decisions that help bring that life closer. Um, it's also one of my biggest gifts is sharing my wisdom with the world because if I can help one person heal, transform their life, then they're going to shine brighter into this world and they are going to illuminate onto other people. And the more people we love and we light up, the brighter our world is going to be. And so it's a gift for me to share those struggles with others. That is so beautiful, Andrea. And then you are a survivor and you're a healer and then you appreciate it. And then I'm very grateful for your Japanese dad, especially being me being Japanese. <laughs> yes. And yes, please say hello to him for me. I will. And I just wanted to share quickly your episode number 25. And then I just wanted to share a beautiful angel number 25. Mm -hmm. And it is suggesting that the transformations you are uh, con contemplating will help you live a fuller life and make your life meaningful by completing the purpose of existence. Wow. What do you think of that? I love that. So thank you for sharing it. 25 has always been a one of my favorite numbers. So when you mentioned that at the beginning, I thought, oh my gosh, I love this. But I love that even more, the meaning behind it. Great. And I also wanted to share, I texted you the affirmation that I'm doing the 21 days. So what is it about 21 days that you mentioned about the hypnosis therapy and then the affirmation that you have to do 21 days? I just did this crazy transpersonal regression therapy it was so crazy basically what it was um my friend tanya's mom army did it over zoom from india where you kind of go to hypnosis like you know kind of subconscious mind and identify your karma from the past life that was not healed so you mm -hmm. find your past life which was 
absolutely crazy. I'm not going to share it online, but it was very crazy. But then um, after that, she gave me this affirmation and 21 days challenge that I have every day. Why, why do you think it's 21 days? So 21 days, it takes three weeks to, to really hold on to a new habit. So that's why they say 21 days, because you live your life. If you drive down the same street every single day, your brain's going to remember, oh, this is the way I always go. But it takes about 21 days to stop going down the same road and to start going a new route. So with our mind, we're so used to thinking one way, but when we start going a different way, it's easy to go back to the old way. So the more you do it, especially in a row, 21 days in a row, it's you're graining a new path that's easier for your brain to go on. Now, will you ever go down the other path again? Of course. My husband still drives to his childhood home and he doesn't live there, but it's ingrained in him. And if he's not actively thinking, he'll find himself driving there. And so it's the same as us. If we're not consciously thinking about the thoughts we think, it's easy for us to go back into those limiting beliefs or behaviors. So interesting. So I just wanted to share quickly with you and our audience that 21 days affirmation challenge that I'm doing. So number one, I have more than enough confidence and the capability to handle my life. Number two, I believe the universe has my back and I am always safe. Number three, I love myself unconditionally. I'm enough and complete in myself. And number four, relationship. This is my favorite one. Relationships work when I stop coming from a place of need or dependence. I choose to connect with others from a place of self-love and self-respect. And that's really powerful to me. And number five, I anchor the feeling of safety in my body cells. My children pick up that vibration and calm down as well. What do you think? I love that. And absolutely, our children feel our energy just like the people around us do. So I think that's, it's beautiful. And I love that you're doing that. Yeah, I'm... Yeah, I did one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, five, eight days. So, so I'm, yes, doing it. But Andrea, I just really appreciate you. And you look absolutely stunning and beautiful. And I think not just how you look um, outside, but in the inside, I think you have found the strengths and resilience and then discover, discover yourself, your true self. And that's shining outward. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's such a gift for me, you know, and I think another gift from my healing is that now I can see the gift that I am and how resilient I've been. And I can honor that healing journey and tell myself, wow, I'm really proud of you. Like you did it, girl. You overcame a lot and you're sitting here like you're rocking it. You're living, you're having joy. And so that for me is such a gift that I get to hold on to myself. So thank you for affirming that for me. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Andrea, for coming. And please check out her website, andreablint.com. It's B-L-I-N-D-T.com. And my name is Julia Love. And I really appreciate you listening to us in our conversation. And I hope this episode would help you empower and then overcome the adversity. Thank you, everyone. Have a good night.
Thank you.